This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show. Morena no mai kiti korero. Welcome to the catch up on Manawatu People's Radio. Tereo irarangi o natangata o Manawatu. It is a Friday morning where you are, uh, but it's Thursday morning for me uh, because schedules are clashing with the very busy Tangi Utakeri, Member of Parliament for Palmerston North. Good morning to you, sir. Morena Keorana Fraser, good to chat, even though it is a Thursday, um, but always nice to catch up with you and the listeners. Indeed, um, and we do need to, to make it clear that it's Thursday where we are, because uh, things are moving apace uh, on the front lawn of uh, the Beehive and, and the Parliament buildings, the Parliament complex down there in Wellington. Um, I mean, this will be old news by the time this interview comes around, but uh, how many are hanging on in there out the front? Are you not, are you not allowed to have a look? Oh, I, I, I do um, look from time to time. I'm currently in my parliamentary um, office here at Parliament, and obviously over the last few days um, I've had to get around the building to go to different uh, meetings and get to the House and all of those sorts of things, and so um, you can't otherwise just glance out and see. I don't loiter um, the, the individuals who are out there. Look, I, I respect um, anyone's right to, um, to protest, um, but I think all of us expect that it's done in a, in a sensible way. Um, and so, yes, there are, um, at the time of talking to you this morning, um, there are still just a few people out the front. So, I mean, most of them have gone home, you would say? Uh, some have gone home. Um, there, there are still some tents at the, pitched on the, the, the lawn um, when I arrived into the building today. Um, and they're a little bit quiet there at the moment. Um, but that wasn't the case certainly uh, yesterday, which was Wednesday. Um, it was just a little bit louder and obviously resulted in a few individuals um, being arrested as well. So, yes, look, I mean, when I do look out there, there are a range of different um, protest points, I guess, in terms of what, what people are trying to, the points that individuals are, are making from, you know, three waters to 1080 to COVID through to a whole range of other things. Um, and yeah, Oh, there must, the there must be an Agenda 21 sign somewhere. I'm sure if you looked hard enough, um, you would find that and then some. Um, so, I, I, yeah, look, there's a, there are a whole range of, of uh, individuals out there, and I'm sure listeners will have heard about that and have seen that as well. Um, clearly, some of them that are there are, are basing their views on uh, different different views and perspectives, ones that I certainly don't uh, agree with or sign up to. Uh, but I do expect that, you know, anyone who protests are able to respect the, the rule of law. Um, they've, they've made their point. Um, and I think it's time that they just um, moved on. Uh, I see Winston Peters on on, on, twi- on Twitter um, was uh, putting not not necessarily putting his support behind them, but saying, "Oh, you must listen to them." Uh, must you, Tangy? What I would say is, and what I am going to say is that the government uh, members of Parliament across the House are aware of the issues that have been raised. 
Um, and anyone who comes to Parliament in any form of protest absolutely has the democratic right to, to raise those uh, points. And if we look back at history, we can see that many different points and issues have been raised by many different organisations, individuals and communities. Um, they do that in a way where members of Parliament regardless of what party you're in, are able to um, accept that and understand that and understand the position. Uh, we might disagree on, on, on that particular position, but it's the, the need of, I guess, being able to understand where people are coming from. I think the individuals have made that very clear. Um, it is understood. Um, and they need to allow other people to get on with their business, just like the, 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 the various forms of um, limitations or, or barriers that their behaviours and choices are making on others. For example, the, the road out the front is still uh, blocked, and so there are vehicles parked all in the, in the road. Um, you know, I heard someone from Wellington uh, a couple of days ago say, well, what if there was some medical emergency and <clears throat> medical responders, emergency responders, were not able to get to an individual because of the actions um, the unlawful actions that individuals have chosen to take. And, and yes, and Christopher Luxon uh, echoed that sentiment as well. If there was a, a natural disaster or, as you say, some sort of uh, other emergency, um, this, this could become a real problem. And that leads me to my next point. Where are the police in all of this? Obviously, we saw a strong police presence uh, yesterday, Wednesday, um, when the protesters started to get a little bit more, shall we say, mobile. Um, but these people are breaking the law. They are not just protesting, which is a democratic right. They are breaking the law. They are parking vehicles where they should not be parked and they are camping where they should not be camping. Why aren't the police moving them on? That's, that's a really interesting point. And, and, and my response to that is that that is a matter for the police and obviously for the council. You know, the council are responsible for the roads around this part of the, the city here in Wellington. And the police are responsible for... Uh, maintaining and enforcing law and order. It is fortunate that we live in a, in a democracy in a country where you know the government don't instruct the police to go and arrest individuals and things like that. So that's a matter for the police. What is very clear, though, is that when it comes to the parliamentary precinct, uh, which you know a fair number of these individuals are are on in terms of their protest over the last few days. Um, that is the responsibility of the Speaker. And the Speaker has made it very clear that the expectation was that um, tents and, and other structures would be removed. Um, there was a failure to do that, and, and um, they were issued with a trespass notice, as I understand it. So it is now over to the authorities to effectively um, enforce matters as, in accordance with the law. But the Speaker has made his position very clear. Um, he's effectively the landlord of Parliament. Um, it's, it's not appropriate for me to make comment on, on his decisions or thereabouts at this time, but I do expect, as you say, people to obey the rules, obey the law, and allow citizens to get on and do what they are legally entitled to do. Would you agree, though, that there is a danger of almost legitimising the protest by making it a political matter in involving politicians, of which the Speaker of the House is one, uh, to draw judgment on the actions of the protesters, whereas if the police simply came in and said, you are camping illegally, you are parking illegally, move on, it doesn't become a political matter there. It's simply a a law-abiding one, and, and you don't give the protesters more fuel for their fire. We see them in the uh, convoy on the way down, they love to politicise and personalise this protest. It's about making Jacinda go away. It is not about a a, a legal point. I I would agree with the sense that, you know, um, 
we expect, and I think all people expect, that people will go about their business in a law-abiding way, as you say, and it's over to the, the judgment of the police or the infringement officers for the local council um, to determine at that initial stage whether someone is, is not doing that and there are processes in place for them to, to go about um, seeking to rectify that, whether it be issuing an infringement, removing vehicles, arresting individuals or the like. Um, the, the point of having the Speaker as the landlord, yes, he's a politician, he's an elected Member of Parliament, but he enjoys the full confidence of the entire Parliament and so he is exercising his, I guess, um, rights as, as the landlord uh, of this particular place, of the precinct. I think it is fair to say that I, I'm frustrated by what's happening out there and many others around this place will be as well. The fact that no Member of Parliament has gone outside to meet with the protesters I think is significant. It indicates that the full Parliament um, is not only aware of the issues that have been raised but are also fully behind an expectation that these individuals simply need to move on. And hopefully they will. And if you are listening to this interview on Friday morning, just note we are discussing this on Thursday uh, and a lot can happen in 24 hours. Um, we are here with uh, MP for Palmerston North, Tangi Utikeri, on the catch-up. If you want to listen to this or previous editions, head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. Uh, Tangi, moving on uh, to more sensible matters, uh, although the origin of this is not, uh, gay Conversion therapy bill um, is uh, moving forward apace. Now, we actually spoke to Ian McKelvey, MP for Rangitiki, last Friday, and uh, I put to him that uh, with Judith gone uh, and Luxon making this a conscience vote for MPs, this this is going to move things forward apace. Uh, Ian, I think, is is going to be voting in favour of the bill, um, so you must be pretty pleased. Uh, I, I, I guess the the issue the the National Party had back. First time this happened was not that they were pro-gay conversion therapy, but that they had issues with some nuanced items in the bill. Now that seems to be less of a concern. Yeah, just for the benefit of of some listeners who may not understand what a a personal vote or a conscience vote is, because I know that some people that I talk to don't, don't, Mm. um, it's where some parties in the Speaker basically determine that a particular matter that's being being voted on, um, you don't have to vote along party lines, that you can vote according to your conscience. Um, And you and I have discussed previously, I think last year, about one that came up about safe areas outside abortion clinics, for example. And so um, the, the National Party, for their reason, determined that for their members they wish this to be a personal vote or a, a matter of conscience rather than voting as a bloc. Um, our position uh, in, in the government and the Labour Party is very clear because this was a manifesto commitment that we went to the country with uh, back in 2020. So all 65 votes were cast in favour and in support of uh, banning conversion therapy. Um, clearly, it's, it's well, it is clear uh, based on last night that you know the bill passed its its midi stage, so there's only one more reading to go. Um, that won't happen today on Thursday, so it's likely to happen when we're back here next week. Um, but it, it was very clear that a number of national members, I think at the end of the second reading, there were maybe six or seven national MPs who voted against um, the bill. All other members within the parliament voted in support of proceeding to ban gay conversion therapy. Now, just uh, to give people a bit of context, um, whilst gay conversion therapy in any instance is is, is a, a dreadful thing in, in trying to change someone's persuasion, uh, often against their will, 
Um, is this a huge problem in New Zealand? Is this worthy of this sort of uh, attention, like in comparison to maybe other issues that are more prevalent? If, if I put my personal circumstances um, as a member of the rainbow community to one side, um, what I would say is yes, it is, because I, it was fortunate that I was able to sit in on the uh, Justice Committee um, hearings for just a very short period of time. And even in that short window, I was able to listen to individuals who had first-hand experience um, of some of this uh, barbaric nonsense, really. And so, you know, many people would think that it doesn't happen, but the reality is, based on the submissions of individuals in our New Zealand community, is that it does. And that's all the more reason why it's so important that we ban it, and we ban it as soon as, as we possibly can. What I would also say is that this particular issue, if we look back over the history of New Zealand's parliament, um, is the most significant issue for public submissions. I think it was about 100 and, 108,000 submissions were made on this particular bill alone. Um, by far, that is the largest number of public submissions on any bill that this parliament has ever had in its history. Not just in the last term of the parliament, I'm talking about you know, the entire parliament from, from year dot. So, and clearly, the, the level of support for this was overwhelming. Um, I was in the House the other night uh, at second reading, listening to some colleagues and their contributions, um, and it just really consolidated my view around why this this is a good thing to do, and we need to do it quickly. Indeed, and and as you you've, I mean, you've used all the appropriate words: barbaric, awful, um, and and I thoroughly agree. It strikes me that if such in air quotes, therapy is truly barbaric and awful. Where are people not protected under other areas of the law? Um, it, it seems quite prescriptive, is where I'm going. Yeah, there, there, there is an argument that there is some protection around, you know, um, ill treatment and the like. But the reality is that historically, a number of individuals have been pressured into giving consent. And so, what this bill, what this law will do is it will effectively not enable any consent to be given for procedures or methods uh, that attempt to um, convert someone from their sexual identity. So, yeah, there there are some technical issues with the bill that have been explored and and what certain things mean. And, I mean, you talked about some of the nuances around it. There is an argument around, well, conversations that parents might have with um, a child or a young person and whether that is captured by the bill. The word that you used um, in, in putting it to me, Fraser, was persuasion. And that's the whole point, is that you know individuals should be free to be able to uh, express themselves as who they wish to be. And so it's not about persuading or conversion or converting someone, but rather supporting individuals, understanding the position that they're in, and making sure that practices that go against that have no part or role within New Zealand society. And that's why it's important that we're taking the steps that we're going to do. Very well put. Um, I guess my next question is that um, stereotypically such uh, practices uh, occur Within religious groups or people with with very clear views of how the world should work, uh, oftentimes these things happen behind closed doors. Is it going to be the protection uh, that people need when they are coming to terms with their true identity? Yes, I I think it will be. And just listening to the contribution of colleagues from across the House um, the other night and also from uh, the submitters themselves, what, what currently is not in place is a law that will encourage um, understanding and encourage people to be who they are because currently, as it stands, these conversion practices are legal. 
So being able to effectively ban them and make them illegal will just give a little bit more strength to um, to individuals. And, you know, I, I had a colleague, um, well, I have a colleague, Glenn Bennett, who made a, the, the final contribution um, the other evening, and he used his own experiences as a, a gay man talking about, you know, his own experience when he was young and where if, if there, were, there wasn't a permissive nature around what, or what is currently in place, then things may have been a little bit different for him and he may have been able to express his true identity much sooner um, than he did. So, and that's just one example that's, you know, that he was very comfortable to share with the, the Parliament. That's on the parliamentary record. There are countless, unfortunately, other examples of individuals who have had similar experiences when they simply shouldn't, whether that's within the confines of a religious organisation, a faith-based organisation, a whānau, a family, a community, whatever. If right, it needs to change, and under this law, it will. So this goes for its final reading, I think you said, next week. Uh, what is the timeline to this becoming law, and anyone who advertises any sort of gay conversion therapy, uh, when will they be uh, conducting illegal practices? That'll depend on when the royal assent is given, um, and I'm, I'm not, to be honest, fully aware when that is. Um, I'll certainly have a look, but I, I think there is a, a desire for this to um, come into force quite quickly. Um, for, for those that um, are unaware, royal assent is where basically the Governor-General signs this. It becomes formally a bill into an act or a law, and the, the bill itself has the time frame within which um, it comes into force. Um, so, for example, if we refer to my uh, member's bill about pecuniary interest in the local government sector, there is a six-month lead-in time so that you don't just suddenly sign the bill, it becomes a law and it comes into force the next day. Um, my, I anticipate that the time frame on this will be a very short one um, because the, the, the quicker we can ban this um, this behaviour, this, this type of therapy as illegal, the better. And uh, let's stop calling it therapy as well. Um, is there yes. anything, as you said, uh, a, a proud member of the Rainbow community yourself, are there other issues that once this one is gotten rid of uh, that should um, be handled in a, a similar way, uh, trying to bring in legislation? Oh, there may very well be. I mean, if we look at what's happened in the last 12 months, for example, the government has made some changes, um, and Mr McKelvey will be aware of this because he shepherded that as part of the select committee process, um, to the birth, deaths and marriages arrangements where there's a, an opportunity for people to um, self-identify um, their, their gender on a, on a birth certificate. Um, my colleague, Tamati Coffey, has a member's bill that is due for first reading around surrogacy and some rights that exist there, particularly for same-sex couples. Um, and there are some other bills in the ballot as well. So it, it's good to see that there is progress that's been made for members of the rainbow community, but also actually for our wider community. You do not have to be a member of the rainbow community to know that this is the right thing to do. In actual fact, I know, you know many family members, other members in our community, who are extremely supportive of the measures that um, that the government and, and others have taken to address inequity in this particular space. And, you know, that's, that's because they see it as the right thing to do as, as a fellow member of our community. Just listening to uh, you talking about Tamati Coffey's uh, work on surrogacy, um, I guess a lot of the, the, the issues boil down to when the original acts and laws were written and probably referenced things like, well, particularly gender, you know, marriage is between a man and a woman. Um, is, is legislation drafted these days with a... a 
a clear avoidance of these prescriptive terms, man, woman, husband, wife, uh, so that these issues don't turn up in the future? My, my experience is that, that they are. Um, often, you know, it's, it's about referring to a person. And when we look at common law, for example, you know, I think it's the, um, the Whanganui River, for example, is, is given legal status as a person, so it's captured by the, the law. So it's certainly uh, my experience that things have changed. There's a, a unit here at Parliament called PCO, Parliamentary Council, um, office, and they do all the drafting, and so they, they have a very similar approach to all pieces of legislation, and what I see is that it's very reflective of, of a common context um, where we don't refer to, you know, man, woman, but rather person or, or identity or something of a similar ilk. Um, so it's, it's good to see that, you know, that is happening because certainly statutes and, and laws need to be reflective of, of the community. And some of these laws are significantly outdated. You and I have talked about the Huia Reserve stuff, just to plug here to remind people that submissions on that close next week um, to Parliament if you're interested. But, you know, that's a particular piece of law that's over 100 years old. And, and the only reason why this has to go through a parliamentary process is because it was specifically named in that you know, law back in, in 1922. So it, it, there are always opportunities, I think, for the Parliament to be changing the ways in which it, it goes about its own business. And I know I've moved a wee bit off the, off the line of question there, Fraser, but, you know, when I reflect on the, the parliamentary environment, um, just two doors down from my office here, there's an appearance room. Um, you know, um, there's a crèche on precinct. Um, the Speaker and, and parliamentary staff and members are much more... Um, amenable to family members being on the precinct. So we are changing with the times, and, and that's certainly, I think, what we need to be doing in this particular workplace because we are rep- representative and reflective of New Zealand as a community and a country, and we need to be doing that in our own workplace as well. Indeed. Uh, we are here with Tang Utikeri, uh, Mema o Parimata o Papaioia. If you want to listen to this or previous editions of The Catch-Up, head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. Also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your online listening. Um, it, it seems how quickly we forget, Tangy. The, the headlines are not dominated by the utter devastation uh, in Tonga anymore. Um, but it, it would appear that communities are not forgetting the uh, first run of um, uh, relief efforts and, and support went uh, across the ocean to Tonga, but we're into phase two now. We are, and I'm just so proud of our local community. Um, I know that you know a couple of weeks ago the community rallied uh, around each other and uh, managed to pull together a hundred drums, or, which are family care packages that were dispatched on a, a, a Matson container out of Auckland and um, and have made, made its way through to. Tonga. Um, I, I do want to have a shout out to uh, the Mayor and Council, uh, Councillor Dingwall and others, but also some of our local businesses like Fonterra, like Main Frank, like many others who were able to rally behind and, and provide support for the community. They are actually in the Phase 2, um, I guess, focus, as you point out, um, today, actually, Thursday and Friday, and again tomorrow, well, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And they've already got a number of other requests to um, send some packages and, and supplies back to Tonga. I have to say that my colleague, who's a Member of Parliament here, um, Anahila Kanangata Suiki, who's uh, the co-chair of the New Zealand Relief Efforts for um, Aotearoa Tonga, 
um, mentioned to me here at Parliament a couple of days ago that Palmerston North is leading the way. The, the team, in terms of the organisation, getting the containers up there, is now being used as a template, she's told me, for other communities um, around New Zealand who are keen to, to get in and provide some support. So big shout-out to all of our local community who have gotten behind our Tongan community and to our Tongan community who have led the way around this. Um, it's just fantastic. The, the insinuation that Palmy would have been anything other than the best at this is, 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 is that's not what we want to hear from our MP. Oh, no. <laughs> what, I, what, I'm, what I'm saying is that it's wonderful that colleagues are able to recognise that yes. and experience that because often, you know, you, you're in your own community, you're focusing on um, Auckland or Christchurch or what have you. Palmerston North, as we all know, that's well above its average, yes. um, well, well above its average. And so being able to have that recognised by others um, in our own humble way as well is really significant, I think, and, and important uh, to, to share that with people because, you know, while you're proud about Pali, I am and many others, um, the reality is that, sadly, some people are not. So a gentle reminder every now and then doesn't go astray. No, not at all. Um, I see Elon Musk is, is, I don't think he's on the ground, but he's certainly uh, trying to get the sort of communication side uh, supported with the, the Starlink thing, which I don't really understand, but I know the name of. Um, are you hearing more from Tonga now? Are we getting a, a much better understanding of, of what they need and, and how long it will take to rebuild and, and perhaps what can't be rebuilt? The, the communication is, is very strong, um, and many people have seen the Tongan speaker fronting a, a number of uh, media engagements and effectively, I guess, being a, a point of communication for Tonga. Um, my understanding from the New Zealand Foreign Affairs Minister, um, Nana Nahuta, is that you know the, the communication between the governments is also strong. So, yes, there was some concern, and, and you know we all understand that. Im- immediately after a natural disaster... Um, infrastructure takes a bit of a hit. Uh, family members were not here, were not able to communicate or hear from or get confirmation from their family back in Tonga, and particularly also in those outer islands where the infrastructure is even more scarce. Um, and so there is quite an element of worry around that. Um, now that families have been able to communicate with each other, uh, you know, families certainly locally understand what the situation is, they understand what, what their whanau need back in Tonga. So, yes, we are seeing an increase in the communication, which is, which is really pleasing uh, because it means that we can all focus on what it is that the Tongan community over there need and we can pull our collective efforts to support them and provide that for them. Because, I mean, the, the issue here is that some of those outer islands were utterly decimated. I mean, bowled to the ground. Uh, there was nothing left after the tsunami went through. I mean, that's... The mind boggles how they're even going to, to start rebuilding there. Um, are we going to be seeing an, an increase in refugees to New Zealand? What we are seeing is an increase in the level of uh, humanitarian aid that the government has committed. Um, and you are right. I mean, when we think, I've, I've heard locally from our Tongan community and the Tongan leaders that, for example, there were three communities that were decimated uh, from the outer islands who had to be um, relocated, well, they had to be relocated to Tongatapu, the, the main island. And so a lot of the focus locally is how we, as a Palmas North, community can look in the longer term to support, for example, medical needs and the local hospital to support some of that health infrastructure for them. Um, we know also that, you know, Tonga is um, currently experiencing a, a bit of a surge um, 
in, in COVID-19 numbers. And when I say surge, I mean it's, it's arrived on the island. So there are those sort of issues that they need to contend with as well. It's really unfortunate that in a global pandemic, a country like Tonga uh, has to effectively focus on recommitting, um, putting in place, um, redoing its infrastructure and supporting some of that basic need. And New Zealand, as a, as a leader in the Pacific, um, will certainly take up the mantle there um, and, and will be responsive. But so will our community. And that's, again, what's, what's pleasing for me and others to see, not just in Palmerston North, but elsewhere around the country, in Nelson and Dunedin, Otipoti and Christchurch and, and Wellington and other parts of Aotearoa New Zealand, that communities are looking for ways in which they can support their own local Tongan community, but also ways in which they can support Tonga proper back home. Indeed, that's it. We are completely out of time on the catch-up this morning. Tang Utikeri, a Member of Parliament for Palmerston North, thank you for joining us this morning. Always good to chat. Have a good weekend, everyone. Yes, uh, indeed. There we go. That is the catch-up for your Friday. Join us on Monday at half past eight. We'll have Wendy Carr from Fielding and District Promotions joining us uh, for that. Uh, in the meantime, as Tangy said, have a great weekend and we will speak to you on Monday. Bye for now. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.